Pingo. Welcome to PingoCast, the official podcast of Pingo, the easiest way to dial the world. In this episode of PingoCast, we begin our Expat Journey series. Expat Journeys will feature expats from all over the world sharing their experience with us. First up, our interview with Lee Rendleman, a young lady from North Carolina who has a bit of an obsession with China. Hello, Lee. How are you? I'm doing well. How are you? Wonderful. In fact, uh, I was browsing your website earlier, and I, I was looking forward to this because I have never been to China. One of the first things I want to ask you, how does one from the U.S. come to have a passion? And please tell me if I'm overstating. Uh, it seems to me that you have a great passion for the country of China. How, do you, how did you get there? Um, it actually started when I was 10 years old. And I watched the movie The Last Emperor, and I told my mom that the Forbidden City used to be in my house, that, that and gr- that I wanted to learn Chinese. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Oh, so it started very, very young. Very young. And um, being from North Carolina, the resources to learn Chinese obviously weren't very plentiful back in the <laughs> late 80s, early 90s. Um, so she sort of patted me on the head and said, Go play with your Barbies. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I continued asking for five years, four or five years. Um, she finally got me a Chinese tutor, and then I went away to Exeter. Um, it's a boarding school in New Hampshire, um, and studied Chinese there. Um, boarding school was not for me, so I came home and got another Chinese tutor, and then. Um, Eventually went away to college, and that was my major in college as well. Oh, wow. So, And I studied abroad in China in 2001 and then knew that I wanted to go back. So you uh, eventually got the uh, exposure you were desiring. Uh, let me ask you about your first time in, in China in 2001. Uh, you must have had lofty expectations because you had been uh, a fan of the country since you were 10. Uh, how, did, how did the country meet your, uh, your expectations? Um, to be honest, it was very different from what I was expecting. Um, you know, a lot of the preconceived notions of China are full of communism and, um, mouth suits, I guess would be the best <laughs> descriptor. Right. Um, and when I got there, you know, except for, you know, I was Caucasian and they're Chinese, Um, they looked just like me, they acted just like me, they, you know, everything was the same, and capitalism was running rampant. (laughs) There was little to no evidence of (laughs) communist China, you know, that we sometimes are stuck with in the U.S. Or that you may have expected before before you went. Had had you already a a firm grasp on the language before that visit in 2001? I had studied it for a long time, but I had never spoken it. I mean, with the exception of in class, which, as any college student knows, doesn't give you much experience. So, no, I had very minimal were you able to language. Un- I'm sorry, were, were you able to understand uh, people and uh, directions and things? And When I first got there, absolutely not. Wow. 
I couldn't, I could barely say hello. Okay, well, I thought maybe because of your love of, of the country and the studying and that maybe you had an advantage over other people who visit a country for the first time and are completely, uh, you know, not caught up on the language of the local area and that thing. So so you went in with the same disadvantage we all do usually. <laughs> we would come in not being able to speak the language. I mean, I could read some, but I'd never spoken. And, you know, part of the thing with language is the comfort, being comfortable with speaking it and you know, an hour three times a week just doesn't give you that comfortability. Right. Um, once I was there for, you know, a week or two, words started coming back and, you know, you get more comfortable and you're forced to because very few people in China speak English anyway. Right. So it's sort of baptism by fire. I got you. So uh, now you visited again in 2000. Were there any visits between 2001 and 2008? Yes, I was there in 2005. Okay, well, what was the visit in 2005? Uh, just a pleasure trip. I was there for two or three weeks. Just a, a vacation trip. And then, of course, again in 2008, listen to this, guys, ambassador to the Olympic athletes. Uh, they, when, I, when I read up on, on you, uh, Lee, at the website, and by the way, we'll talk about the website uh, momentarily. Everybody out there can go take a look for themselves. But uh, when I was reading up on you, I was... I'm always amazed by the different positions that are out there that, of course, you know they must exist, but you never really think of them. And, and this would be one of them. What an opportunity to be close to the Olympics and uh, have a new perspective of the Olympics. Uh, I don't know. How was your experience as ambassador to the Olympic athletes there in, in Beijing? Um, I actually got to meet all of the NBA players. Oh, wow. Um, that, was the, that was the Olympic team that I worked with are they are they a bunch of overpaid prima donnas um not all were very friendly <laughs> that's okay i'm not digging for dirt here you don't have to <laughs> you know the high paid salaries that the athletes of today make you know sometimes you know especially you being the ambassador they did they have uh high demands and uh expectations uh yeah they um i i think it was a bit overwhelming for a lot of them um you know to be in a sea of Chinese people, I know for me personally, when I first stepped off the airplane, I was, there's just so many more people in China than there are in the U.S. Yes. And they're always surrounded by swarms of people, whether you're famous, not famous. I mean, you know, it doesn't matter who you are. There's just tons of people everywhere. Wow. Um, now, is that part of your responsibility so think, then as the ambassador to help them with their, uh, well, culture shock or their adjusting to the to the area? No, I mostly help them within the hotel. So okay, so um, I want you, you must I, have some great stories, but I'm not going to go there. I, <laughs> we, <laughs> I'm sure we and our intentions here are to focus on your expat experience. And uh, wow, maybe off the air after the interview, I want to find out more about your experiences. <laughs> We're not here to hang any uh, NBA players or anything today. <laughs> no. <laughs> so so uh, you got to spend more time there. Now you've had the opportunity to visit on many occasions. Uh, do you uh, envision yourself eventually settling down in China? Are you that uh, smitten with the place? I would definitely like the experience to live there again. Um, twice just wasn't enough. So if you had to choose one place or the other to live out the rest of your days, what would it be? Would it be home here in the U.S. of A., or would it be China? I don't know. I struggle with that question a lot. Um, 
if the right opportunity presented itself, I would move back to Beijing in a hot minute and never come home. Well, you know, being the Pingo cast and being who we are, um, I should say that these days it's much easier to live far, far away yet still be able to stay close to your friends and family via the Internet and, of course, uh, you know, services like Pingo. So um, I imagine as time goes on, maybe, maybe 15 years ago you didn't think it was such a possibility, but now it's not such a stretch, is it? No, it it was really easy to keep in touch. It, it the difference between being there in two thousand one and being there in two thousand eight in terms of communication was yeah, that's a, that was a big huge. that that was in fact that small eight year window probably represented quite a few technological changes in communication. So um, I can imagine now. Uh, how's your family with uh, when you're away in China? They fear for you because you know. Like you t- you said earlier, the public perception is you know communism and uh, and all the negative sides that you that you hear overplayed about China. Uh, do you have friends and family that are concerned for you on a regular basis when you're over there? And no, not at all. Um, my family actually came over um, in 2001 and traveled around with me, um, and they were amazed at just how different you know perception versus reality was um my both my mom and dad really liked it there they realized that it's probably the safest place in the world um wow that's a bold statement you know it 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 true i you know i would walk around at three o'clock in the morning by myself i never was concerned never was worried that just was not an issue i mean at all yeah, because of the thick population is is there any time of the day where there's empty streets at all no yeah, so it, really, Beijing is the city. The, the, the that, amount, they, uh, <laughs> the amount of traffic varies, but there's people. It's like New York City. All you know, how you say New York City's the city that never sleeps, China never sleeps either. Uh, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Maybe uh, Beijing is the real city that never sleeps, and that would be very, very accurate. Are you looking for a, a job where you can hopefully travel uh, or live in China and work there also? Yes, I am. And is the free Starbucks coffee a deal breaker? No. <laughs> <laughs> she she has a very very good sense of humor on her uh, her description of the perfect job. I believe it is. Or uh, free Starbucks coffee was one of the things that you wanted, but of course that's just a joke for you. <laughs> That was just a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I got it. I, I chuckled at it. Uh, hey, but it certainly would have to be considered if it were offered, I think. so. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, Starbucks is that good to some people. So, Now, in Beijing specifically, how many uh, – has Starbucks uh, made it there yet? Oh, yes, they're everywhere. everywhere. They're almost on every street corner just like they are in the U.S. I guess they're everywhere uh, in the world then at this point. Well, if you could, I know this kind of puts you on the spot. You don't have a lot of time to think about it, or maybe you have thought about it before. What's the number one thing you love about China, and what is the number one thing you miss about the U.S. when you're in China? The uh, number one thing I love about China, I have to pick one. I love everything. I love the food. I love the culture. I love the history. I love the people. I love everything. But, um, is that kind of the thing one? that I miss, about the U.S. when I'm there, um, probably just friends and family. Um, I mean, pretty much anything that I would want in terms of a 
material type thing you can get in China. I mean, if I wanted McDonald's, I could have McDonald's. If I wanted Mexican, I could have Mexican. Well, fantastic. Uh, let's talk about the website before we wrap this up. I uh, I was intrigued by the uh, just the domain name you chose for this. Of course, being a avid lover of of the Chinese culture and the country and the and the people and the language and everything, as you stated earlier, everything is your number one <laughs> favorite thing about China. <laughs> uh, ChinaBizStrategy.com. What was the motivation behind selecting that as the domain name? Um, I actually started it. Uh, when I was in MBA school as an independent study project. And the premise of the project was discussing Chinese business culture strategies and doing research on different topics within both of those areas, okay. business culture and in terms of business strategy. Uh, that makes more so, sense now. Okay. and But it, the, through, through the years, it's kind of morphed into your personal um, playground, so to speak, I guess. Correct. <laughs> uh, um, and plus, it was a great way for me to keep in touch with my friends and family when I was living there. Um, I would post different funny stories of things that would happen. And <laughs> Okay. Yeah, in fact, um, I was looking over the site, and you have a fantastic uh, list of uh, favorite books that you have put out there. Uh, including The Man Who Stayed Behind by Sidney uh, Rittenberg. And now, um, that, by the way, a great expat story. Yes, phenomenal. Is there, uh, I'm really going to put your Chinese to the test right now, is there a Chinese translation for Pingo's slogan, The Easiest Way to Dial the World? Um, it's probably grammatically totally incorrect, but I think it would be Zwei Rong Yi Gay. I think, but I'm, pro I'm almost certain I'm wrong. <laughs> <laughs> hey, that's right. it, it sounds good enough to me. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Lee, thank you very much for spending some time with us today. We wish you the best of luck in your search for a position over in China that will let you live in the land of, uh, uh, of your dreams, so to speak, the place where everything is number one in your book. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, uh, let me give you the website one more time, uh, guys and gals listening. It is ChinaBizStrategy.com. And, you know, if you're out there and if you happen to be listening uh, and you have some work in China, well, you might want to give Lee uh, a holler out there at the website. I assume there's some way to get in touch with you. Yes, absolutely. There's a plethora of ways to get in touch with me on the website. Fantastic. Lee, thank you so much again, and we hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Kingo.